Amen. All right, well, before I get started, let me just say I forgot to mention that if you'd like to help bring a meal uh, for Brother David and Miss Victoria, uh, please see my wife after the service. She'll have, she has a clipboard, and she can give you the information. Of course, we'd like to help uh, their family with meals, something we do for all the families when they have babies here at our church. You're there in Ezra chapter number three, and of course, we've been going through a series on Sunday mornings uh, called Building Projects in the Bible, and of course, our church has been in the midst of a building and remodeling project since October of last year. We've also been preparing ourselves for this upcoming vision offering, and we've been looking at this idea of uh, building projects in the Bible. And I, I think if you hadn't thought about it before, you might have been surprised how much the Bible talks about building, volunteering to work at buildings, raising money for buildings. And of course, we started several weeks ago with looking at the building of the tabernacle, we learned that Moses led the children of Israel to a special offering where they gave collectively and willingly and generously. Last week, we looked at the building of the temple by Solomon, and we saw something different than we saw with Moses. With Moses, we saw the how to give collectively, willingly, generously. With Solomon, we saw the why to give because of the awe of the work of God and the affection for the house of God and the acknowledging of the providence of God. This week, we're going to continue and look at the rebuilding of the second temple, the rebuilding of the second temple. You're there in Ezra chapter number three. If you would not mind flipping back to Ezra chapter number one, if you would, Ezra chapter number one. And just let me say this, if you're a first-time guest, uh, we're in the middle of moving and in the middle of raising money. Uh, I don't normally preach a lot on the subject of giving, but you just happen to be with us in a season of the year when this is something that we're focusing on. And uh, we hope that you'll join us next week as we move into the uh, new building. Just to give you a little bit of context, if you remember, David uh, wanted to build a house for the Lord, was not allowed to, he prepared for it, and then his son Solomon built the temple. Uh, we won't, I won't take the time to go through all the scriptures and show it to you, uh, but of course, you know that many years later, the temple was destroyed. The kingdom got divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel was uh, taken captive and destroyed by the Assyrians. And then, of course, the Babylonians, being led by Nebuchadnezzar, came in and took the southern kingdom of Judah captive. And when they did that, they destroyed the walls around the city and they destroyed the temple. The children of Israel were in captivity. The, the, the southern kingdom of Judah was in captivity for 70 years. And during those 70 years, there was some transition. The Babylonians were then taken over by the Medo-Persians, and the Medo-Persians had uh, different kings that came to power. In Ezra chapter 1 and verse 1, you'll notice that when the book of Ezra begins, we are at the end of that 70-year captivity, and we have a new king that has uh, taken over the kingdom of Persia. In Ezra chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says this. Keep in mind that the Jews are under captivity to the Persians at this time. The Bible says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Bible says that because Jeremiah predicted that this would happen. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also into writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him in a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. I want you to notice that the Bible says here that God stirred the spirit of Cyrus 
and he and 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 charged Cyrus. This is Cyrus, the king of Persia, speaking. He said, He hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem. And of course, what he's talking about is rebuilding the temple, the temple that was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Cyrus wants to commission the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. Notice what Cyrus says uh, to his kingdom there in verse 3. He says, Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. So it's interesting. And if you if you study history, the the historians, when you uh, look at Western civilization, they'll say things that Cyrus uh, was simply trying to do something nice for his subjects so that they would uh, continue to give taxes or whatever. But the uh, the the document that has been inspired by the Word of God definitely makes it sound like Cyrus had converted in some way uh, to worshiping the God of the Bible. Because he says that the Lord of heaven hath given him the kingdom of the earth, and he hath charged him to build the house at Jerusalem. And then he says that he wants to build, verse 3, the house of the Lord God of Israel. He says these words, He is the God which is in Jerusalem. So we see that uh, Cyrus uh, is, has it in his heart to rebuild the temple of uh, Jerusalem. And as a result, we have the Jews that leave captivity and they go back to Jerusalem to rebuild this temple. And of course, this is where we find the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. The book of Ezra documents the rebuilding of the second temple. The book of Nehemiah documents the rebuilding of the wall. And it's uh, the, the, the people of God coming back to uh, the, the city of Jerusalem, to the area of Judea, and they are uh, doing these things. Now, what we're going to look at, if you would go back to Ezra chapter number 3, I'd like you to notice some things about the building of the second temple. Because since we are in a building project, we're both building and raising money for a building project, we're looking at these biblical examples of buildings, uh, uh, projects in the Bible. We saw the tabernacle that was built in the wilderness by Moses. We saw Solomon's temple uh, that was already built. And then, of course, that temple was destroyed. And now we see the rebuilding of the second temple. And I'd like you to notice three things regarding the building of the second temple. And if you're taking notes, and I always encourage you to take notes, on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write down some notes. Maybe you can write these things down. Like you notice uh, the, the, the verse here in verse number 5, Ezra chapter number 3 and verse number 5. Notice what the Bible says. And afterward offered the continual burnt offering, both of the new moons and of all the set feasts of the Lord that were consecrated. I want you to notice these words. And of every one, and of every one that, notice these words, willingly offered a free will offering unto the Lord. It's interesting to me as we look at these passages, and if you've been with us for the last several weeks, this should be familiar to you. When we looked at the building of the tabernacle and when we look at the building of the temple, these words came up over and over again, willingly, free will offering. Here again, we see in the book of Ezra that this is coming up again. Look at verse 6. From the first day of the seventh month began they to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. We're going to come back to that idea of the foundation at the end of the sermon, so just take a note of that and be aware of that. Look at verse 7. They gave money also unto the masons and to the carpenters and meat and drink and oil unto them of Zidon and to them of Tyre to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the Sea of Joppa according to the grant that they had of Cyrus 
king of Persia. And I want you to notice that the Bible emphasizes, when you look at building projects in the Bible, you look at people building for the glory of God, you see this emphasis over and over again. We saw it in the first sermon with Moses, that they were to give willingly, that they gave generously, and they gave collectively. It says that everyone, it says that everyone willingly offered a free will offering. They they weren't manipulated into doing it. They weren't guilted into doing it. They chose of their own accord. They wanted to participate in this. Everyone collectively willingly offered. They gave money. They gave meat. They gave oil. They gave drink. They gave gold, and they did it generously. And it's just interesting to me how this is seen throughout the Bible over and over and over and over again. Go back to Ezra chapter number one. If you're taking notes and you want to jot down the first point, I'd like you to notice, number one, the combined giving of the second temple. The combined giving of the second temple. And we've been talking about this for the last several weeks. I think if your heart's right with the Lord and the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, you should have maybe got the point by now. But let's just look at it because what's interesting to me, I don't even necessarily want to preach on the subject of giving willingly and collectively and, 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 and generously, although, of course, we've seen that. What's interesting to me is how much this is brought up in the Bible. Because some of you have been thinking, Pastor, you've been preaching about this building project for the last several weeks. You know, when are you going to get off of it? Well, let me remind you that I've been preaching the Bible. And what we're looking at today is the Bible. And in fact, today we're looking at passages that we haven't looked at at all in the last several weeks. And in fact, I don't think that I've ever even preached on the subject of giving or the vision offering from the book of Ezra ever. I mean, we've been taking vision offerings here for every year for at least 10 years or 11 years or 12 years. And I'm not even sure that I've ever even came to the book of Ezra to show it. But it's interesting to me how much this is hammered away in the Bible. Because please understand this. We must put the emphasis where God places the emphasis. And when God emphasizes, I know you don't like, I don't like you talking about money. When God emphasizes something, we should take note of it. If God says it over and over again, he's saying it for a reason. So I just want you to notice it. You can do what you want with it. I just think it's interesting. Ezra chapter 1, look at verse 4. Ezra chapter 1, verse 4. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place, notice the words, help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with beasts. What is that? That's generous. Notice these words. Beside the free will offering. What is that? That's willingly. For the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Notice verse 5. Then rose up the chief of the fathers. This is collectively. This is everyone involved. Notice the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with, notice the words, all of them whose spirit God had raised to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Look at verse 6. And All they, collectively, that were about them, strengthened their hands with the vessels of, look at it, silver, with gold, with goods, and with beasts, and with precious things. What is that? It's generously, look at it, beside all that was willingly offered. That's willingly. It's just interesting to me. You look at the passage, and it's like, they're giving willingly, they're giving generously, they're giving collectively. Now, I already showed it to you in Ezra chapter 3, and I showed it to you in Ezra chapter 1. Let me show it to you in Ezra chapter 2. Go to chapter 2, look at verse 68. Keep in mind, there's only 10 chapters in the book of Ezra. It's in Ezra chapter 1. Notice Ezra chapter 2. Look at Ezra chapter 2, verse 68. 
and of the chief of the fathers, that's collectively, when they came to the house of the Lord, which is at Jerusalem, notice the words. Look, I, I didn't put this in your Bible. God is the one that's repeating this over and over again. Notice what he says. Offered freely, that's willingly, for the house of God to set it up in this place. They gave after their ability. That's what we saw yesterday, uh, uh, last Sunday when we saw David where he says that he gave uh, above and beyond when uh, Paul said of the Corinthians that they gave to their power and above their power. Here it says that they offered after their ability unto the treasure of the work uh, three score and 1,000 drams of gold and 5,000 pounds of silver and 100 uh, priest garment. What is that? That's, uh, that's generously. They gave willingly. They gave generously. They gave collectively. Now, I'm not going to go through and show it to you in every chapter. It doesn't come up in every chapter, but it's interesting how much it comes up. Go to Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7. I'm just highlighting for you how often this comes up in Scripture. I just think it's interesting because we must place the emphasis where God places the emphasis. And if you're reading a book of the Bible, the book of Ezra, and it's all about rebuilding the second temple, and over and over and over again, God is highlighting the fact that He wants His people to give collectively, to give willingly, and to give generously, then we ought to consider that. Ezra chapter 7, look at verse... 15. Ezra chapter 7 and verse 15, the Bible says this, and to carry, notice the words, the silver and the gold, that's generously, which the king and his counselors have, notice the words, freely offered unto the God of Israel, whose habitation is in Jerusalem, look at verse 16, and all the silver and gold that thou canst find in all the providence of Babylon with their, notice the words, free will offering of the people and of the priests, notice the words, Offering willingly. Do you think God's trying to make a point here? Amen. Offering willingly for the house of their God, which is at Jerusalem. Look at verse 17. That thou mayest buy speedily with this money bullocks and rams and lambs with their meat offerings and their drink offerings and offer them upon the altar of the house of your God, which is in Jerusalem, that whatsoever shall seem good to thee and to thy brethren to do with the rest of the silver and the gold that thou uh, do after the will of your God. And he's saying, look, we're raising this money so that we can buy the things and purchase the things that we need for the house of God. That's chapter 7. Let's look at chapter 8. Look at chapter 8 and verse 25. Chapter 8 and verse 25. The Bible says this, Ezra chapter 8, verse 25, and weighed unto them, notice the words, the silver and the gold and the vessels, that's generously, and the offerings of the house of our God, notice collectively, which the king, we're talking about Cyrus, king of Persia, one of the most powerful emperors in world history, even he gave to their vision offering, which the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel their present had offered. I even weighed unto their hand 650 talents of silver and silver vessels and 100 talents and of gold and 100 talents and 20 bases of gold of the 1,000 drams and two vessels of fine copper precious as gold. And I said unto them, ye are holy unto the Lord. The vessels are holy also and the silver and the gold. Don't miss it. Look at verse 28. Just last part of verse 28. Notice what he says. R-A. Just look at it. Free will offering unto the Lord God of your fathers. I just think it's interesting. 
You look at the tab- building of the tabernacle, over and over, Moses says it, over and over. Free will, free will, willingly, collectively, generously. You look at the building of the temple, free will, willingly, collectively, generously. You look at the second temple, free will, willingly, collectively, generously. And look, I'm just telling you that I think God is trying to teach us something here. When it comes to giving to the house of the Lord, we ought to do it willingly, we ought to do it generously, and we ought to do it collectively. Not to be something we all participate in. And it should be something, and look, again, I've said this every week and I'll say it again. It should be something you want to do. And if you don't want to do, then we don't want you to do it. We don't want you to feel guilted or manipulated or anything like that. But if you, like Cyrus, king of Persia, has had the Holy Spirit of God stir in your heart to be a help to the work of God, I want to encourage you to participate this year, of course, in our vision offering. And you have one of these uh, there in your... I'd like to just, just show you something real quickly. If you look at your bulletin, if you look at the insert there uh, for your bulletin, of course, the vision offering is on Sunday, March 3rd. This is the week after we move into our new building. We move into our new building next Sunday, which is February 25th. The week after that is Sunday, March 3rd. And of course, what we're raising money for is to be able to uh, get uh, work going on the air conditioning system there on that property. A lot of work has been done on that property. It's a beautiful... If you have not seen the building, it's, it's beautiful. It's not even done yet, and it's already very uh, beautiful. Uh, but the air conditioning that's in there is from the 1970s. I'm just telling you right now. And, and I think that they didn't really worry about it before. Uh, the church that we purchased the property from, keep in mind, it's a four-acre property with a 400-seat auditorium. And I believe, I could be wrong, this is what they told us, but I, I believe that for the last 20 years, the church that was there ran, they had maybe... 20, 25 people there on, on a Sunday morning. It doesn't seem like um, there was a, a, a big congregation there, which is why the building had deteriorated as much as it had and why we had to come in and just kind of really fix a lot of things and upgrade a lot of things and update a lot of things. Um, but listen, a group of 25 people in a 400-seat auditorium can probably get away with no air conditioning. We have 250 people here in church this morning. And, and we've got several of our church families that are right now in the Philippines on a missions trip. Uh, we've got people that are out due to sickness or whatever. And I'm just telling you, we're going to be glad that we put a new air conditioning system this June and July and August uh, when we put 250 or, Lord willing, 270, 300 people into that building. It's just we're raising money for the things that are needed for the house of God. And, of course, we've got conferences that we're putting on, the Next Generation Youth Rally. We've got teenagers from all over the country coming April 9th and 10th. They're going to spend a couple of days here, and we're going to have activities and games. We're going to preach the Word of God to them to try to encourage the next generation. We have the Red Hot Preaching Conference. We've got our missions work. We've got a group of, of, of our people over in the Philippines right now. And, of course, we've got Pastor Stuckey, who our church supports uh, 100% full-time. We've got our missionary, uh, Dave Kabuntal, in Cebu, who we support as well. We don't support him full-time, but we support him with a major portion of his, uh, of, of his mission support. Pastor Stuckey, we support full-time. He started the church in Manila, in Bicol, in Pampanga. They started a church just recently in Poland. He's doing a great work. And all these things is what we're raising money for. The vision offering is to help us accomplish these things. And I just want you to be aware and to consider the fact that on March 3rd, you're going to have the opportunity to come and bring a one-time offering to the vision offering, to the Lord, of course. You'll also have the opportunity to make a commitment. If you'd like to make a commitment, you, you will have cards where you can commit to give 
in the month of April or in the month of May or in the month of June towards the vision offering. So you could bring a one-time gift, or if you're not ready to bring a one-time gift on March uh, 3rd, you can bring a commitment and say, I'm not ready to give now, but in the month of April, I can do this, or in the month of May, or in the month of June, or all three months. Or of course, you could do, many, there are many people in our church that do all of it. They give on March 3rd. They give in April. They give in May. They give in June. Look, we're not trying to uh, uh, get you to do anything other than what the Lord lays on your heart. But I, what I do want you to do is to be ready and willing to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart so that you could do what Bible-believing people have done through the generations documented for us in Scripture. They collectively came together. They gave willingly. And they gave generously. So we see here in Ezra the combined giving of the second temple. But that's not the only thing we see. Go back to Ezra chapter 3, if you would. Ezra chapter 3. I'd like you to notice, number one, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down, the combined giving of the second temple. But I'd like you to notice, secondly, not only do we see the combined giving of the second temple, we also see the committed group of the second temple. It's interesting to me because we often refer to the second temple as Ezra's temple. And the reason for that is because where we read about the, the building of the second temple, we read about it in the book of Ezra. And we often consider Ezra and Nehemiah contemporaries who worked together, Ezra building the temple, Nehemiah building the, the, the walls of the city of Jerusalem. But what's interesting is that this really wasn't just Ezra's building. And it really wasn't just Nehemiah's wall. They were there, but this was really a group effort. There's many names that I think you might even recognize when you, you may not think of them when you think of the second temple. But once you see the names, if you've read the Bible, you might recognize these names. Look at Ezra chapter 3 and verse 8. Ezra chapter 3 and verse 8, the Bible says this. Now in the second year of their coming unto the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second, in the second month, notice, notice this name, began, notice this name, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel. This is a name that comes up a lot when we're looking at this time frame in, in the his, biblical history. Zerubbabel, often referred to as Zerubbabel the governor, he's the governor of the area of Judea. He participated in this thing. By the way, I don't have time to have you run the verses, but Zerubbabel is actually in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you go back to the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1, you'll, and you go to the time frame after the captivity, you'll notice that Zerubbabel is one of, uh, that Jesus is a descendant of Zerubbabel. In fact, the reason that Zerubbabel is the governor during the captivity of the Babylonians or when they came back with the Persians is because he actually would have been the king if there wasn't a captivity. He was in the line of a lineage of being a king. I want you to notice that Zerubbabel participated in this work. Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. Not only that, we see and Jeshua and other prophetic writings. He's called Joshua. This is not Joshua who we read about in the book of Joshua that was uh, the servant of Moses who was the second leader of the children of Israel and led them into, uh, into the Canaan land. This is a different Joshua who's a high priest. Joshua, the son of Zodak. But notice here, it's not, it's not just Ezra, it's not just Nehemiah, it's not just Zerubbabel, it's not just 
uh, Jeshua. It's, and the remnant of their brethren, the priests and the Levites. Notice the words. And all they that were come out of the captivity unto Jerusalem and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. This was a group effort. Look at verse 9. Then stood Jeshua the son of, uh, with his sons and his brethren, Cadmiel and his sons, and the sons of Judah. Notice these words. Together. That verse reminds me of Philippians, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He said, together to set forward the workmen in the house of God, the sons of Hanadad, with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. So we see that Ezra was involved. Nehemiah was involved. Zerubbabel, was, uh, the, the governor, was involved. Joshua, the high priest, was involved. But not just that. Go to Ezra chapter 5. See if you recognize these names. Ezra chapter 5, look at verse 1. Ezra chapter 5 and verse 1, the Bible says, Then the prophets, notice these names, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. You should recognize these names because these two guys have books in the Bible called the book of Haggai and the book of Zechariah. These were prophets that lived during this time and were contemporaries and were there and participated and played a role in the second building of the temple. Then rose up, uh, the, the Bible says in verse 1, Then the prophets Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo prophesied unto the Jews that were in, Jeru in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of uh, the God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Joshua the son of Josedach and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. I want you to notice that this was a group effort. It wasn't just Ezra. It wasn't just Nehemiah. It was Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest and Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet and the remnant that came from the captivity and the Levites and the priests and the other prophets. And I want you to notice that not only do we see here with the second temple a combined giving where they gave collectively and willingly and, 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 and generously, but we see a committed group. It was a group effort. And I'm here to tell you, Verity Baptist Church, that we need your help. It's been a group effort this whole time. We, the, the, everything that's been going on over at the other building is, has been our church family uh, 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 doing it. But this week, we uh, need your help because for the last several months, we've been relying a lot on the skilled laborers and, uh, and trying to uh, encourage the skilled laborers, to, and they've given us time and they've sacrificed, and we appreciate that. But some of you guys have been using this excuse, well, I'm not a skilled laborer, so I can't show up. Okay, you lazy scoundrel, we have an opportunity for you to know because you don't need a lot of skills to pick up a box, all right? And even some of you guys that are skilled laborers that haven't been showing up, this is your opportunity to redeem yourself. I'm just saying this needs to be a group effort. We need your help. We, there, there's a, and, and ladies, ladies have been chomping at the bit saying, we can help, we can do it. I've had ladies telling me, let us go in there and remodel. We'll get this thing done. And I, I'm like, well, I don't think your husbands would have survived the, you know, that humiliation. But you can help now. You can help with the cleaning. You can help with the packing. You can help with the moving. You can help with these things. And by the way, let me just say this. Teen boys, you moms out there, you got some teen boys. Teen boys can be a great help this week. I'm just saying this should be a group effort. You see, when you see the building of the tabernacle, the building of the temple, the building of the second temple, you don't see one man, one person. Uh, you, you see a group of people coming together and saying, let's do this for the glory of God. 
striving together for the faith of the gospel. So I want to encourage you. This morning after the service, you can go out to our main foyer, and you'll see several clipboards there. There'll be a clipboard for you to be able to come in on Monday at 10 a.m. Ladies, like I said, tomorrow's President's Day. You can, you can justify taking homeschool, taking the day off. And you can come with my wife and the staff wives and help clean that building and get it ready and prepared. Tuesday, there's a clipboard there to come in uh, to this property and begin to help organize and pack things and get things ready uh, to be able to move. And, and, and you men, on Thursday, 9 a.m., Friday, 9 a.m., Saturday, 2 p.m., these are opportunities for you to come and, 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 and help. We've got to move all these chairs. We've got to move all this furniture. We've got to get all these things uh, uh, out of here. There's a special clipboard for the, you guys that have trailers. If you have a trailer and you say, I can come on Thursday or I can come on Friday or I can come on Saturday, there's a place for you to let us know. Or you can say, I'll come all three days, whatever it is. I'm just saying this is, needs to be a group effort. And let me just say this, because this is what I found. It's interesting to me. My wife and I started Verity Baptist Church in our living room. And we, you know, began with just a handful of people in our living room. And what I found interesting is that the bigger the church gets, sometimes it seems like the less help we get. And that's always been a paradox to me. Like, I feel like we used to have more help when the church was smaller. But I think I figured it out. I think I realized what it is. And what it is is this. When people look at a big church, they think, oh, I don't need to show up. They've got enough help. The problem is this, when everybody thinks that, no one shows up. Back when we were running 30 on a Sunday morning, people pretty much realized like, well, if we don't show up, no one's going to show up. So if, when we're running 50, we realized, well, if we don't do it, no one else is going to come do it. So let me just tell you, in case you're wondering, you think, I don't know, should I come? I think they got enough. I mean, 250 people here on a Sunday morning. I think they have enough help. Let me tell you, we need your help. We've got several church families that are in the Philippines right now. We're down one staff guy due to having a baby. We need your help. If, if you're wondering, like, I wonder if they, we, yes, we need your help. And we'd appreciate your help. So I want you to notice that there's a combined giving of the second temple. I want you to notice that there's a committed group for the second temple. Yes, Ezra. Yes, Nehemiah. Also Zerubbabel, also Joshua, also Haggai, also Zechariah, also the, least, the, the, the priests, also the Levites, also the remnant that came out of the captivity. It was a group effort. It was a committed group. Now I'd like you to notice thirdly this morning. I'm not sure where you're at if you're back in Ezra chapter 3. I said number one, we see the combined giving of the second temple. And number two, we see the committed group of the second temple. I'd like you to notice thirdly this morning, and it's this, the concealed grandeur of the second temple. It's a really interesting story here in Ezra chapter 3. In fact, usually when people go to the book of Ezra, they go for this passage, the passage that we've not looked at so far, but we'll look at right now. Look at verse 10. Ezra chapter 3 and verse 10. The Bible says this, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple, We've been reading about the fact that they gave collectively, right? They gave collectively and willingly and generously. They raised the money. They bought the things that they needed. They hired the, the workers that they needed. And they, they began to do uh, this work. Not only did they uh, give uh, a combined giving, but it was a committed group that said, we'll do this and we'll help and we'll volunteer where we can and we'll do what we can and we'll assist in whatever area we can. But when the work began to happen, when the work began to happen, the Bible says here in verse 10, 
Because remember, we read earlier that the foundation had not yet been laid. In verse 10, we're told, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by chorus in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because he is good, for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout, when they praise the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. I want you to get the picture here. They're laying the foundation. They're going to re- begin to rebuild this temple. They lay the foundation. And as they lay the foundation, they've got the choir there. They've got the orchestra there. They began to sing praises from the book of Psalms that David wrote. And they began to, to, to sing to the Lord that He is good for His mercy endureth forever. And the Bible tells us that the people were excited and they shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord. Why are they excited? Because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. It was an exciting time. But let me say this. Not everybody was excited. Look at verse 12. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers, notice these words, who were ancient men. So what does that mean? It means exactly what it means. They were old men. Remember, the children of Israel had been in captivity for 70 years. If you were a man that was there and you were 80 years old or 90 years old or 100 years old, you not only would have lived through the captivity, but you would have had a time in your life where you lived before the captivity, before the first temple, Solomon's temple, had been destroyed. Notice what the Bible says here in verse 12. But many of the priests and Levites and the chief of the fathers who were ancient men, that had seen the first house, referring to Solomon's temple, the first temple, when the foundation of this house was laid. The ancient men who had seen the first house, when the foundation of this house, the second house, was laid before their eyes, notice what the Bible says they did, wept with a loud voice. The young people who'd never seen Solomon's temple, when they laid the foundation, they shouted with joy. The old men who had seen Solomon's temple, when they saw the foundation, the Bible says they wept with a loud voice. And many shouted aloud for joy. Look at verse 13. So that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. Now, why are these men weeping? They're weeping because they remember the first temple. And to be quite honest with you, they're weeping because they realize that the second temple is not as grand as the first temple. They remember this grand building. They remember this amazing building. They remember this impressive building. They remember this First temple. And now that temple has been destroyed. And 70 years later, they're laying the foundation for the second temple. And when they look at the foundation for the second temple, they think to themselves, that's it? And they actually begin to weep because they realize that the first temple was grander. Now there's lots that could be said about that and many applications that could be made. A whole different sermon could be preached regarding this, and I'm not going to do that this morning. Whether they were right or they were wrong, to feel this way is not the point I'm trying to make. The point I want you to understand is they were correct in the fact 
that the second temple was less grander, less impressive than the first temple. Go to Haggai, if you would. Haggai chapter 2. Remember Haggai? He's one of the prophets during this time. Let's look at what he says about this. If you start at the end of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, and you go backwards, you'll go past the book of Zechariah, which was also a contemporary prophet of this time, and then you'll have the book of Haggai. Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai. It's interesting because Haggai the prophet speaks about this event. The young people are excited. The old people, the older people, the ancient men are weeping because they realize they realize that the first temple was grander. The first temple was more impressive. The first temple, obviously it was built during the time of Solomon. It wasn't built by people who just left captivity for 70 years. It was built by Solomon, who uh, was the climax, who, who was the king at the climax of the nation of Israel as far as his wealth and his resources and his influence. Whether they're right or wrong to feel this way is not the point for now. The point that I'm making now is this. They were correct. The first temple was grander. But here's what Haggai the prophet says about it. Here's what he says. He says, the first temple was grander. He says, but the second temple is greater. You say, why does Haggai say that? Look at what he says in Haggai chapter 2 verse 1. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, in the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month came, of the, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, this is Haggai the prophet. We already read about him in Ezra. He's living during this time. God says, and the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, saying, verse 2, Speak now to Zerubbabel. That name should be familiar. The son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. And to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? Haggai begins to ask the question. He, he, God prompts Haggai to speak to Zerubbabel, to speak to uh, uh, Joshua, and, and to speak to the people. And he asks this question. He says, Who is left among you? Who is here that saw this house in her first glory? He's, he's referring to the, the first temple, who saw the first glory of the temple. And how do ye see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? And here's what he's saying. He's saying, how many of you saw the first temple, the glory of the first house? And how do you see it now? He says, there's not much to compare. He said, in fact, if you compare it, you would say it's nothing. The second temple is nothing in comparison to the first temple, is what Haggai the prophet is saying. Look at verse 6. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, don't miss it. Haggai said, in just a little while. Remember, we're at the end of, of the timeline for the Old Testament. Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi finish up the Old Testament. I'm not just talking about the Old Testament book, chron uh, the, the, the books and the writings. I'm talking about chronologically, we are at the end of the timeline known as the Old 
Testament or the Old Covenant. There will then be about 400 years of silence where God does not reveal or speak to the children of Israel. And then we will enter into what we now refer to as the New Testament with the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice what Haggai says. He says, I know you're looking at the old temp- the second temple and you're thinking it's not much in comparison to the first temple. I know that's what you think. He says, but just give, he says, God says this, give me a little while. Look at it there in verse six. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all nations. Notice these words. And the desire of, of all nations shall come. What is that referring to? Well, we often sing during Christmas time. Don't we sing a song that says, Come, desire of nations, come? It is referring to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is referring to the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come. And Haggai is saying, look, I know that this building, I know that this temple, I know that this, uh, that this foundation is not very impressive. But in a little while, he said, in a little while, God is going to send and God is going to do. And the desire of all nations shall come. And I will, notice what he says, fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Look at verse 9. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. God, through Haggai the prophet, said, Look, I know you're looking at this building, and you realize, you ancient men who saw the first building, you realize that the second temple is not as grand here as the first temple. It's not as grand here as the first temple. It's not as impressive. It's not as big. It's not as, uh, as rich as the first temple. I realize that. But God is speaking through the prophet Haggai under the Holy Spirit of God in verse 9 says, The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former. He says the second temple, though it was, less, it was smaller and less impressive, was greater than the first temple. The first temple was grander, but the second temple was greater. Say, so, well, I don't understand. Why? Here's why. Because the Lord Jesus Christ never walked into the first temple. But the Lord Jesus Christ, God incarnate, The Word become flesh. God is telling us that the second member of the Godhead, the Son of God, the Word of God, will one day become flesh. And just, he says, a little while will become flesh and will dwell among us and we will behold His glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And that babe that was born in Bethlehem will grow to be a man who will lead a ministry. And that man, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of God in a human body will enter into that second temple. And use it and participate in it. So God says, even though the first temple was more impressive, He says the second temple is greater because of its proximity to the Lord Jesus Christ. The second temple was closer to the Lord Jesus Christ than the first temple. And in this we learn a great lesson, and it is this. And this is an important lesson for us to learn. Because look, we have the opposite. We're not moving from a lesser building to a, from a greater building to a lower, uh, lesser building. 
we're definitely moving from a lesser building next to the methadone clinic across the street from the welfare office to a much nicer, look, this is a beautiful building over there. Four-acre property, 400-seat auditorium, still a lot of work to do. But even with the work that's been done, it is beautiful. It is impressive. We've came a long way. And look, we started in a living room. We went from a living room to an 800-square-foot uh, uh, strip mall building to a 1,600-square-foot building to a 4,700-square-foot building to this building starting at 5,600, ending at 12,000 square feet to four acres, 400-seat auditorium. Beautiful building. Next Sunday morning, we will be doing something that our church has never done. We will enter into a property and a building that we own. And it will be the most beautiful building that our church has ever met in. It may be, by the time we're done with it, the most beautiful church building in this whole city. It's a beautiful building. And, and we're taking it seriously, and we're working hard at it, and we want to give God our best. If it's for God, it should be our best. But let us always remember this, that the greatness of a church is not found in the grandeur of its facilities, but in its proximity to Christ. Do you understand what I just said to you? The greatness of a church is not found in the grandeur of its facilities. It's not found in how impressive the building is and how nice the building is and, 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 and impressive pillars and impressive paint jobs and impressive uh, uh, decorations. The greatness of a church is not found in the grandeur of its facilities, but in the proximity to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And here's all I'm saying, that if we move into a beautiful building, which we will, but yet we are a church that is far from Christ, then what's the point? Because let us always remember that the church is not a building. We are the, the church. And if you and I have a beautiful building to meet in, but in our daily lives, when we go to work on Monday, and when we uh, are, 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 are coming in contact and connection with the world on Tuesday and Wednesday, when we're in our private lives and by ourselves, when we're driving down the road by ourselves, when you're posting things on social media, when you're doing things in your personal life, if your personal life is not near in proximity to honoring the Lord Jesus Christ, then there's no point in having some beautiful building somewhere. Because God is not impressed with the impressiveness of a building. The greatness of a church is found in its proximity to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So Haggai the prophet says, I know the building is smaller. I know the foundation is less impressive. I know that this building is not as impressive, but the glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former. And I'll say to you, there are lots of churches with beautiful buildings. Lots of churches with impressive facilities. But they're so far away from Christ. Let us always remember that the greatness of a church is not found in the grandeur of its facilities, but in its proximity to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So I wonder, how close are you to Christ today? Does your life reflect something that would honor the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you far away from Him? Slidden back from Him? <laughs> 
Because if we move 250 worldly people into a beautiful building, God's not impressed. God's not impressed. And neither should we. If we have a beautiful building, which we do, but are nothing like Christ, then there's no point. We shouldn't even move in. Because the glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former. Because the greatness of a church is not found in its grandeur. It's not found in the grandeur of its facilities, but in the proximity that it has to Christ. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do love you. Lord, we do thank you for this beautiful building. Lord, you know more than a beautiful building, what you desire is for people that are close to you, people that walk with you, people that love you, people that honor you with their lives. That's what you want. You're not impressed with the building. Let us always remember that we want to give you our best. We want to give you the best we have. We want to give God our best. If it's for God, it should be our best. And we want to have the most beautiful building and the most amazing facility, but let us always remember that it is simply a tool to bring people to Christ and close to Christ. Let us never be impressed with ourselves. Let us never be impressed with the grandeur of our facilities while we drift away from you. Let us always remember this great lesson, that there was a concealed grandeur to that building Let us always be close to the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother Matt Taylor come up and lead us in a final song as we prepare for baptism. We'll prepare for one baptism this morning um, as we uh, sing this last song.